If you've ever been to an event here at the Villa Vida, you know that they can only happen when you have a great team. One of our team members, Bex, can be found hosting everything from karaoke to open mics to speed dating. In this episode, I talked to Bex about finding community in Vienna, existing beyond identity labels, and learning to change systems of oppression. I really hope so. I really, I mean, that's my job, you know? Yeah. yeah. People find love. Our local resident Cupid. I love it. <laughs> I love it. So. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's start. Okay. Hi. Hi. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is your name? My name is Bex. And where are you from? Um, I'm originally from the U.S. I'm from Mississippi, but I studied in Chicago. And what brought you to Vienna? Um, I'm doing a Fulbright, which I think people from the U.S. know what that is, but it's kind of like a way to study or do research or to work as an English teaching assistant. I came to Vienna to do a project about human rights and refugee youth, and I also work as an English teaching assistant in two schools. Oh, wow. What was your project about human rights and refugees? Um, last year it was about like comparing education practices for young people, and this year I'm working at an organization that does like housing work. Um, working volunteering but basically I mean I, it's not that interesting but it's to compare how refugee resettlement happens in different countries because the UN tells refugees where they end up so um, you never really get a choice where you live and so I wanted to see how like the social political climate of the city where you land impacts your kind of not trajectory so to say but kind of life and day-to-day -day things like this um, yeah, so that's technically on paper why I'm here. But I'm also here because I love Vienna and I think it's an amazing city. What why, like what brought you to that conclusion that you love Vienna? <laughs> With my whole heart. Um, <laughs> when I was in university still in the spring of 2019, um, I did a semester abroad here and I didn't meet any like Viennese people at all, but I just loved the kind of freedom that I felt in the city in a different way, um, how easy it was to navigate, and I just kind of felt this draw and desire to come back, and so then I kind of like looked for opportunities, and this was a good one. Yeah. Vienna is definitely cited as one of the most livable cities, mm -hmm. but I know I often get asked, and probably you get asked a lot as an American, like, why are you here? Really? Right? I don't know. Why did you go to the U.S.? This is my response, but yeah, I don't know. I do get asked that a lot, though. Are you looking forward to returning? No. Um, I plan to come back to Vienna and practice law um, after my three years of being a student because right now the thought of living in the U.S. is just really scary. But I also feel on this fence of like, should I go home and fight, you know, because people that I love and care deeply about are really being harmed by a lot of the things that are happening in the U.S. right now. And on the other hand, I'm like, hell no. Like, I care also about my own safety and my own well-being and going back to the U.S. seems incompatible with those two things. So it's hard, you know. 
You have been a force of nature at Villa Vida. <laughs> Thank you. I'm for so the last you. several months. Yeah, wow. Could you elaborate on some of the things that you've done here? Yeah, I mean, I think I told you this. Like, Akatina describes herself as the resident, the cafe's... I mean, she is the resident poet, you know. I'm probably the resident host of the cafe. Um, I started off hosting karaoke, and it's not even that I like karaoke that much. Like, I can't sing. Anyone who's been to karaoke knows this. But I just love the vibes of... And I think it speaks volumes to have a space where people... You know, it doesn't matter how well you sing, but to have a space where you feel comfortable singing um, and meeting new people. Like, I've met so many people through hosting. And then I approached you randomly with an idea to have an open mic series, which I think has been pretty successful. And my idea was that Vienna is a very artsy city that has a lot of people who you know, are already really talented musicians or comedians or drag performers, but really kind of lacks space for people who want to try something new and be spontaneous and maybe put themselves out there for the first time. And so um, I host this once a month open mic series where it's kind of like, come do whatever you want. And I think in the past couple of months, it's really, it used to be me begging all of my friends to come. And now I think it has its own kind of power. And I hope that it's something that continues after I leave because it's, I would say in Vienna, hands down the most supportive audience of any event ever. Um, and it's so intersectional in what people perform, where people come from, who the people there are. And that just brings me so much joy to build these community spaces and I guess most recently I hosted this speed dating event last week which was also really cute and really pure I think in the end um but yeah I mean I love this space it's this space in the city where I feel the most comfortable it's the most intersectional queer space that I've found in the city and that matters a lot to me um and yeah it, yeah I'm I get kind of emotional about it sometimes if I think too hard about the space. You know, now I'm part of the queer writer circle too. That's right. Um, I feel like I'm doing always all kinds of, not random shit, but a little bit random shit here and there. Um, and the more that I'm just like saying yes to things, the more I'm like, oh, you know, now I'm here ran like at least two or three times a week. It's kind yeah. of crazy. Yeah. Yes, you're, you live here. <laughs> yeah, basically. I'm going to take a nap on this couch. Like, um, no, yeah. So, I mean, like, how did you connect to queerness when you were back home, like when you were an undergrad and stuff? Like, how did that... <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny. So, I'm from Mississippi, famously a homophobic place. Um, I was born and raised there. And, um, yeah, I mean... It's funny because my parents are not from there. They're both from the Northeast. And my mom is this super progressive, you know, like, not hippie, but she wishes she was a hippie. And she would say all this stuff when I was a kid because she wanted us to know that it was okay to be gay. So she would say shit like, I would say, oh, mom, you know, you smell nice. And she'd be like, oh, you think I smell nice? Maybe you're a lesbian. You know? <laughs> and so to rebel, I was really straight and femme. And, like, I loved pink and tutus and did ballet and all of these things. And then I went to university with my twin, who is, like, my best friend and I think the best person in the whole world. And I will argue about this. And... Um, he was always queer, like, oh, not always, but he came out in high school as bi, 
and um, we kind of had a queer friend group and I was kind of like the straight person of the friend group and then my twin came out as trans and he started his transition actually the same time that I studied abroad in Vienna and but right before I started abroad in Vienna, I kind of came to the realization that I had a crush on one of my best friends' classic, you know. Um, and then I came to Vienna, actually, and part of the reason why I wanted to come back to Vienna is because it's the first, it was the place where I had my first queer experience. Um, and I think part of it was that all of the kind of capitalistic hustle-bustle bullshit of the U.S. doesn't exist in Vienna. And for the first time in my life, I had time to, like, really reflect and explore my sexuality in a real way. And I thought that if I came back to Vienna, I would be able to kind of like pause and reflect again too. And so being back in Vienna, um, I've been able to kind of pause and think and reflect on my own gender too. And now I identify as a gender fluid person and that feels really cool too. Um, so I don't know, it's a kind of lame story. I didn't realize that I was gay until I was probably like 20 or something. Um, and yeah, it's a lot easier when your twin is already trans, then you like come out to your parents as a queer and they're like, okay, yeah, like whatever, you know? Um, yeah, that's a little bit, yeah, I'm working on this memoir thing right now and it's called Transition and it's about like being in proximity with my twin and with my ex who was also trans and I was with while they were transitioning. Um, and I, so I, the, all of this stuff is kind of front of mind because I've been like reflecting on these stories more recently. Anyway, I ramble a lot, so you have to like cut no, me off right. or like you're send me in a direction, you know. So, you know, I love the American South. It was oh, my yeah. final destination before I became an expat. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Where were you in the South? <laughs> North Carolina. Like Raleigh? Like Durham. Durham. Nice. Okay. I went to summer camp there. Oh, okay. Yeah. What does that look like for you and your twin when you go back home to Mississippi? Yeah, so it's funny because when we moved to university, my parents moved to Utah. So I have no family in Mississippi anymore, which is super weird to like be from a place and like have no like blood there anymore. Um, but I'm still in touch with people there. And it's funny because all of my like friends in high school were all queer now, but we all, all of us, left Mississippi in order to kind of come to that realization, which is kind of crazy. But um, I think some of the most powerful fighters and people that were the most important to me in high school were like my English teacher who was the sponsor of the GSA, who, where I was a straight ally in high school, um, and who just like made us all feel loved and accepted, you know, and the queer people who are there, like, they face a kind of oppression that you don't face if you're in other parts of the U.S. where it is easier. It is easier to be in Chicago or New York or San Francisco or a big city where, like, you're not weird or verbally assaulted in the same way. That's why I think, for instance, I really felt powerful going to Mistelbach Pride the other weekend because it reminded me of my tiny little small town in Mississippi where yeah, probably walking in my tiny ass pride parade as a high schooler, as a straight ally, made me know that even in a place like this, there's still so much love, and people still love other people, you know, um, but man, does the South have a lot of bullshit happening right now, um, so I think it's hard to go home, um, like my, my brother went home we went home only one time since he came out as trans and it was just a crazy experience because like you can't go anywhere without running into people that you know 
and it's weird because people didn't recognize him and that was just like it was really hard for him and I don't know if he will ever go back you know um now he lives in New York <laughs> a place where it's totally fine to be trans in the U.S. right now luckily do you feel there, there's a lot of rhetoric around um Queerness being a trend, queerness being something that people do to fit in, and queer friend groups are often looked at as this evidence mm -hmm. of this trend. Yeah. How, how do you feel about that, like, about all these queer people gravitating to each other when they're still in middle school or high school? Mm. I think that every person is queer. This is just a fundamental, this is a belief that actually is not my own, it was my freshman, actually all the way through college roommate told me this. They were like, if you are comfortable enough with yourself, like you can realize that you are a queer person because it's a spectrum, right? So you might be like, I'm 99% straight or however you choose to identify. But I think it is really, I think of queerness as like a mindset towards liberation fundamentally. Um, and so I think it makes a lot of sense that people during the pandemic, when they had time to pause and reflect more, a lot of people came out as queer or realized this about themselves. I think that when you know that it's a possibility that you're not going to be ostracized for in the same way, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I think it's kind of annoying that being queer is weirdly trendy, but I think it also makes a lot of sense because we can have claims to our own identity or find community so much easier with social media, with technology, with the pace of the world now, um, that it's easier to be a young person and read something or see a TikTok video and be like, oh my God, maybe that is me. Um, and being, I mean, now it's like, I can't really think of a straight friend that I have. And it's not because, you know, I don't believe in straight people, but kind of it is. But I think it's, again, like a mindset or a mentality of like, if you're an open enough person or an accepting enough person, then yeah, I think, right, this is a hot take perhaps, but it's, it's what I think. So I, I don't know. I don't think it's trendy. I think maybe everyone eventually will realize that they're queer. I don't know. I like the idea of queerness being this mindset toward liberation because queer people have been at the forefront of every, especially in American history, uh, meaningful uh, and sort of movement forward in human rights. Absolutely. And art and yeah. culture. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> and I don't think that that's accidental. No way. Yeah, it couldn't be. How do you think? your own queerness has influenced what you think the possibilities are for yourself? I think it's, I mean, I'm also, something I think is really important to me is abolition. So I'm big, like radical imagination, energy, addressing harm in real spaces. And I think building community be in safe spaces where there's a fundamental um, foundation of trust that we can build community spaces that could exist in the future, building the world in these spaces that we want the future to be. Could you explain what abolition is? Um, well, I think abolition is also kind of a trendy word. Um, I think of abolition as the abolition of the prison industrial complex, so police, prisons. Um, I think of it as a way not just to dismantle these structures, but to build structures that actually address harm, because the structures that exist 
today don't actually address fundamentally harm that is caused. So that means systematically why harm is being caused to other people. We all cause harm to each other without meaning to, it doesn't matter. And we all also experience harm that is being caused, but very often harm is not actually directly addressed at all. And so for me, abolition is finding ways and spaces to step aside from structures that instead of addressing harm continue to perpetuate harm and looking towards sustainable solutions that actually like allow people to you know face perpetrators to actually have their harm addressed and hopefully solved um and so for me like queerness is yeah it's a sexuality but it's also kind of again i guess this mindset towards liberation which is not a phrase that i've really said before but i'm kind of sticking with it at this point <laughs> uh, yeah okay and so i think that my first queer relationship felt so liberating because you know even dumb not dumb stuff but the way that you like kiss someone or have sex with someone in a very heteronormative way you're just performing roles and in my first queer relationship you have to have these kind of a little bit awkward conversations about consent or the way in which you experience pleasure or joy and you get to build your relationship that doesn't isn't molded to this patriarchal or heteronormative standard anymore and it felt so freeing it was like oh my gosh i don't have to just play this hyper femme person and like sex isn't just running through the bases and then it's over, you know? Um, and so that kind of microcosm of like, okay, a lot of the times I'm a teacher, right? And I address my students as my friends a lot of the times because I want to break down a lot of the structures that we experience and take young people's voices seriously, for instance. And I think it's kind of more of this mindset of like, okay, can we take a step back and examine the way that we interact in society are these structures that are telling us that we have to act in a certain way or can we question that and actually create a space that makes more people feel more comfortable, feel more truly themselves, which, you know, we only have the tools that are products of the system, so it's not perfect anyway. But if we kind of can take a step back and come at it from a place of like, you know, grace, I would say, um, then we can disagree, we can fight, and we can still like love each other and hold each other in this space. And that is the kind of future that I want to like be a part of the event. I feel like I'm being super freaky, hippy dippy with what I'm saying, but you are going uh, to California, so <laughs> I don't know. Time to you're ready for it. You're ready for it. I don't know. I don't get to like this podcast is a great way for me to just <laughs> preach my hippy dippy bullshit to your like fans. I don't know if you agree with what I'm saying or not, but whatever. The, I don't have to agree with what you're saying. Yeah, that's true. That's you exactly my point. Yeah, that's exactly yeah, my point. Yeah, I don't have to agree with what you're saying. The, um, the thing that really people, that makes people afraid with abolition mm -hmm. is a lack of accountability. When they share sure. abolition, mm -hmm. they think of a lack of accountability. There will be no consequences for people's actions. Yeah. And people will run them up. One of the things you mentioned is that we hurt each other unintentionally, mm -hmm. but as you and I both know, there are often bad actors mm -hmm. that with eyes wide open go into situations with the intent to hurt Absolutely. another person. Absolutely. And our society has not yet figured out um, a humanistic way of dealing with those bad actors. No, and I mean, the thing is, I also don't believe that any person is 
the worst thing that they've ever done to another person. That does not mean that people do not cause unimaginable harm to other people. But I think we have to always take a step back and look at the systems in society that will first allow this kind of harm to take place in the first place. But also, I think this this buzzword of accountability, right? Like we, we are taught from a young age that things should be fair and equal. And when something happens, there should be, you know, someone should be reprimanded with something that is actionable. We want a result. And we only have the like law, you know, monopoly board game legal system to address it. So that's what we expect accountability to be. But actually, sending someone to prison does nothing to, you know, help the person who now has PTSD every time that they walk around a certain corner, right? Like that does nothing to address the actual root of the problem or the actual harm that was caused by locking someone else away. Um, and so actually reducing harm or actually making someone accountable for their actions is incredible work that takes mediation, that takes the person who caused harm in the first place to really reflect. I mean, they have to be a, a willing person to be part of the process in the first place, but that hard work of facing the actions that you've caused, the amount of like work that you have to do as a person to acknowledge that you have fundamentally harmed another person and you are going to make active changes so that you don't cause harm in the future, so that you try to work towards the person who you've caused harm to and actually help them alleviate some harm in some way is incredible work that takes a lot from all actors and parties involved um, that I would argue is, is at the end way more effective and, and uh, productive than, than locking someone away and potentially way harder as an individual person. To actually take responsibility for your own actions is, is one of the hardest things I think for us as people to do a lot of the times. You know, because we're, we're, we're easy, it's so easy to be like, no, I didn't do it, or like, oh, well, you know. But to actually like reflect, take a step back, work towards a different future, it's, it's, it, it's incredible the work that has to go into that. One of the things you said about queerness being liberation that also makes it scary for people is that with heterosexuality, mm -hmm. you have the answers. We've yeah. been given the script mm -hmm. of heteronormative, sort of gender-conforming behavior our entire lives. Absolutely. But when one enters into queerness, there are no scripts, mm -mm. and that can be a very scary time for people. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, just, I don't know, I'm just like, yeah, absolutely. How did you navigate that? Um, I mean, I feel really lucky because I you know, I would talk about my twin again, like I already had someone who, he, he also like brought me to abolition, you know, like mm -hmm. I have my brother to thank for a lot of things, but, um, so I was already in queer spaces. I think it, it, I would, I, and I, it's so funny because I used to be such a type A, like go-getter, teacher's mm -hmm. pen kind of person, you know, and so I loved trying to be this perfect ideal version of, of a person, and so to actually be like, okay, I'm gonna throw myself into the situation knowing that I will probably mess up was something that I personally really struggled with. Um, and I feel really lucky with the first couple of queer relationships that I had, that they were supportive of me and kind of, I don't know, like they didn't mentor me necessarily, but I think it is a bit like jumping into uh, knowing that you're probably gonna fuck up at some point or being really, really nervous that you're gonna fuck up, which can be even worse. Um, and you have to be a little ballsy and a little brave. Um, 
that's the way that I felt when I shaved my head. You know, I shaved my head in November. Oh wow! Um, do you remember me? I used to have like long hair, curly hair, and I used to dress up so femme. And I shaved my head, and I was like, oh my god! Suddenly, the male gaze is gone. Like、mm. men don't stare at me in the uban or cat call me near as much. And I remember this feeling of like, oh my god, I kind of miss it. And that was really terrifying too, because it's it's you know I'm used to walking around in a society where people read me as super femme and like had certain expectations for me, and now people read me as super mask sometimes, and I'm like, whoa, this also feels like weird to me too.、Um, and it's kind of scary, but it also feels like kind of freeing to get. At the end of the day, I think it's worth it to like. I mean, there's so few places where we actually feel free, you know. Um, and so inching towards that, every kind of step that we can take feels kind of worth it to me a little bit. One of the ways or strategies that people use to cope with not having the answers is to hold on to preconceived scripts or create scripts of their own. Yeah. Have you found some of those scripts? Yeah, I mean, I fucking hate the like butch femme. I'm a chapstick lesbian. Like, okay, I get. Well, I don't know. There are all these. There are all these ways that like lesbians, queer people, like top bottom. I hate all of this. Okay, I get it. If you're stepping into this space that you're like trying to find things to hang on to, if you choose to identify with this and it feels liberating or powerful to you, so be it. But for me, these kinds of frames just perpetuate. Different versions of the patriarchy, and that's to me or heteronormative standards, which to me is antithetical to what queerness is all about.、Um, and so, when I notice myself kind of falling into these traps of like, okay, now I feel like I present more masculine, and so now, am I taking on these masculine roles? I really try to actively check myself because that's exactly what I'm trying to escape. And maybe people feel queerness in different ways, and you know, that's totally fine. But I don't want someone to look at me, assume that I'm mask, assume that I want to be with someone who's been, assume that I'm top or whatever. You know, like I really want to check myself and、um, get to play with the fluidity of what queerness, what's so fun about queerness too. I think allowing yourself to be a kid and like experiment with things and get, you know, fucking play in the sandbag. I don't know. Sandbag. Sandbag. <laughs> sandbox. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> Like play around with your your relationships in safe ways where you're like communicating ex- explicitly about that. It helps me not hang on to these things that I that are these like safety blankets, you know, that we hang on to. So how do you feel about identity in general? Like, so how do you identify? <laughs> yeah, I try not to think about my identity that much.、Um, I think it's really important to me that people know that I'm queer. Um, and that's where I really like to leave it. Like I don't l- like more labels. I use she or they pronouns.、Um, I think of myself as a gender queer person and as a queer person in my sexuality. But besides that, like when I wake up in the morning, I'm not like, oh, I'm a woman, and like today I will go pretend to be a, like be a woman in society. I wake up in the morning and I'm like, oh shit, I gotta like pack my lunch, you know.、Mm-hmm. Um, I don't spend that much time thinking about my gender,、um, mm-hmm. and so being able to be fluid in my gender and being expansive in it feels the best to me, and being able to be expansive in my sexuality feels the best to me.
um, because I don't want to. And I also know that there's some people who use the term bisexual in this way too, where they are attracted to, you know, their own gender and other genders, and I think that's really cool too. Personally, I just like the vagueness of queerness. Like, I think of queer as a very vague term. Um, I also use the term gay to mean queer for me in a very vague way, you know? Like, I'm attracted to personalities. I'm very emotional. I'm a Pisces. Like, oh, these no. are things that <laughs> these are things that I identify with. Yeah, I really identify with being a Pisces, and I really identify with being queer, and I leave it at that, you know? Yeah. There seems to have been much more of like an identification with this umbrella, the mm-hmm. alphabet mafia, the LGBTQIA plus plus plus, the umbrella of queer, rather than saying, okay, I'm lesbian or I'm bisexual, or yeah. I'm gay, or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, what do you think that attraction towards the umbrella term is about, rather than those sort of granular specific terms? Yeah, I mean, I think for me it comes back to this kind of freedom thing. Mm-hmm. Like, not having to identify with a letter allows me to feel in community with everyone. And I feel like that feels the nicest to me. Like, I love being in community with other people, and I don't want to feel like I'm... I think for some people it's really, really important that their specific identity, like, that is marginalized in very particular ways that they find community because of that. I totally get that, and I totally respect that, and I wouldn't want to step on that at all. But for me personally, I like being fluid in the expansiveness of it. Like, why would I choose to limit myself when I'm already going to be marginalized because I'm queer? For me, that doesn't make a lot of sense. What are some of the differences you've noticed in the scene in Vienna as opposed to in the States? Probably the, like... I mean, I think Villa Vida is such an exception, um, but the I think the U.S. has way more intersectional queer spaces, um, which is why I hang out here a lot because like I don't want to talk to a bunch of kind of like cis white lesbians, you know, mm-hmm. like that's not really to me that's again not like the full expansiveness of queerness. Um, I mean, I think it's also hard because I moved right after college to here, and college campuses are very queer places can be very queer places at least mine was not anymore not anymore we don't have any books yeah well you know (laughs) shit um but my university experience was very like all my friends were queer and i think that like it took me a while to find austrian queer people to be friends with here Really? Um, yeah. Like, You're so extroverted. Though. I'm so extroverted. Okay, first of all, my German is shit, so that's like my own thing. But second of all, I think that Austrians tend to be a bit more hesitant to like let you in. And then once you're in, they're like your besties there. Like, I was totally sick last week, and it was my Austrian Vienna friends who were like bringing me food. You know, like they're like the fucking best. Like, my que- I call them the queers. They're my like queer Austrian friend group. They, I hang out with them all the time, and I love them all so much. Um, but I brought them to the villa. Like, now they come to karaoke, and they were never hanging out here mm-hmm. before. Um, and yeah, honestly, I, I think that I didn't realize how important finding specific queer spaces was going to be to me as an adult. I think it's also weird when you graduate university and, you know, you're on a college campus and you can, like, join all these clubs. Um, But then you're an adult and it's like, you know, I'm an avid rock climber, so I have climbing friends. But then, you know, if you want to, like, be in community with people, there's not, like, an adult 
queer club. Oh wait, there is here in this cafe. You can like join a lot of adult clubs um, with different affinity groups, and I think that's kind of amazing. And like even thinking of myself as a writer would not be something possible without the queer writer circle. Um, which I could, you know, just does an amazing job of like validating all of us newbie, you know, I come from journaling in my notes app to like reading something and then she's like, oh my god, Bex, like, and I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe I shared that. Um, yeah, so I think, again, I'm like rambling in a million directions, but um, I think that their scenes are different and I also think, okay, here's my rant, I think that the U.S. is a bit more ahead in terms of talking about queer topics and race topics and a lot of topics because there's so much shit going on probably like there's but we're just way more explicit like I think that conversations around pronouns also because the German language is gendered and it adds a whole complexity when I came here there weren't really I mean increasingly there are better but there weren't really great alternative pronouns um, in the German language I think that's still kind of an issue um, and just like explicitly talking about issues. Maybe Americans are way more blunt and forward and direct. Um, and so I was ready to come in, you know, my high lofty ideas. And um, I wasn't necessarily shot down, but I had to be like, okay, people want to like ease into conversation in a different way. And like, but I don't know, see the demo the, a couple weeks ago, right? Like seeing all the people who fucking showed up, that was one of the most, I thought that was way more powerful than Pride, you know? Like that was a fight, that mattered. It was a fight. Um, and in a way that like Pride is now so capitalistic and whatever, yeah. corporate. But um, that was really like, okay, Vienna can show up for queer people and that was really powerful to see. Yeah, that was actually very surprising. I did. <laughs> you were like, wow, there's so many gays in the city. No, I knew there were so many gays, but it's somewhat of a non-confrontational place. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's like passively confrontational. Okay. You know what I mean? Like people give you side eye in the way that people, people in the, like you're walking down Manhattan, people wearing all kinds of funky stuff mm -hmm. and no one, no one bats an eye. And if people walked around like that here, they would get so much side eye, probably some comments from some slightly older, probably women with probably slightly dyed red hair. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that Vienna is like passively more judgy, maybe. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, there's no limit to what you can create, like when you have come to a space with the level of skills and energy that you have kind of come to Vienna with. Thank you. That's very kind of you to say. I don't know if I've actually made any kind of a difference, but I'm sure as hell have had a great time. <laughs> I think you've made quite a difference. <laughs> Thanks. I really yeah, because I think your bravery sort of your bravery bridges a bridges a gap for people mm. where they may be thinking about doing something, but you will give them either the event or invite them to do it or give them permission to do it by doing it yourself and that makes a massive difference yeah i always say this at the open mic i'm like i'm not going to make you do anything that i won't do myself and then i put myself out there and be vulnerable and be silly and whatever um and it's like, oh my god, the stories that then people share, it like gives me goosebumps, you know? Mm -hmm. People are so beautiful and so talented and have so many stories to share. And I just think it's amazing. Thank you as well for like creating a space where people are able to do that. I think that's so fucking powerful, you know?
What are you gonna do in Berkeley? Go to law school. Why are we doing this? I don't know. Because <laughs> I don't have European citizenship. So, would, do you know like what kind of law you'll study? Or um, you... I want to do civil rights, kind of public interest law. Um, okay. I want to do right now. I really want to do like trans rights mm-hmm. work because that's what. I think there's a really big need for that, and especially the community that I care a lot about in the U.S. But also, I think at an international level, it's going to become increasingly a huge issue as we think about like passports or documentation or things like this. And and so I think the ability to potentially do this at an international level is something that I really want to do. And I think would also then be possible to do in Vienna because you know there's the UN, the Human Rights Branch of the UN. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm also high lofty with my goals, but right now I think, you know, Audre Lorde said that master's tools never dismantle a master's house, and I know that studying law is not going to, like, bring abolition, but I do think that learning the tools could be potentially useful if, you know, you got to jimmy a screw out or something. Um, So I think that uh, I'm hoping to kind of learn a bit about the law, how it harms people. I'm super skeptical about it. Um, it's this constant conundrum. Yeah, right? exactly. I feel that so you're trying to have systemic change. Yeah. You somewhat have to have a working knowledge of, of a system, system that you're trying to change. And the more knowledge you obtain, because it's expensive in your time and in the US also with your money to learn those systems. Yeah. You then become invested in those systems over time. Yeah. So because your livelihood depends, depends on it. On those systems right. continuing to exist. Exactly. Yeah, I know it's I understand the kind of hypocrisy that I'm stepping into, you know. And I don't think that will like prevent me from getting lost inside of it. Um but I'm hoping it will make me a little less lost along the way. I, I feel like the nice thing about being in Vienna for the past year is that I feel very, very strong in my moral and political convictions. I think those are very firm and are not going to change even when I, you know, enter the space that is, is, is the system, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, and Europe gives... Europe gives us a lot of models, specifically around different forms of government, different ways to approach uh, crime. Hell yeah. And gender in some cases. And health, for mm -hmm. sure. Health, for sure. (laughs) Education. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the reason that Europe, Western Europe, has some of these models is that most of them are much older democracies mm-hmm. than in the United States. Mm-hmm. Most of them are much more homogenous mm-hmm. in terms of the type kind of population. As we see Western European populations becoming more diverse, mm-hmm. a lot of those entitlements are now under review or mm-hmm. might be going away specifically for the newer immigrants. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, the past years I've been here working in the kind of like refugee. Um, scene I don't know it's not a scene but space I guess and especially like watching the wave of Ukrainian refugees come in but also having already been working with refugees beforehand and seeing the kind of like dichotomy with how certain groups of people are treated and what they have access to and I mean it's 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 a mess but um, yeah I think you're absolutely right so what are your hopes moving into the future when you come back Bex comes back Bex comes back (laughs) 
Um, three years. Three years, four years. Yeah, so I actually, you know, it's cheaper (laughs) to buy a round trip ticket. So I am already coming back for Christmas and New Year's. Wow, okay. So I will forever just buy a series of round trip tickets so that I always know when I'm going to be back. Never a one new ticket. No, exactly. I guess, like, be a lawyer. I don't even know. Okay, Esquire. <laughs> Bex Esquire. Be- Bex Esquire. Esquire. Uh, has a nice ring to it now. Um, you know, help people make a difference, blah, blah. But, like, continue to live in your community with people is more important to me. Yeah, I don't know. I used to have all these lofty goals. Like, I was thinking about this the other day. Like, my seven-year-old self, if, if they could see me now, like... You've already done a ton. What the fuck? No, but they would think I was going in a totally different, like, path. Or I'd be, like, you know, married to a man. I don't even know. But, like, like I had such high, lofty ambitions for myself always. And allowing myself the space to be like, hey, what makes me sometimes happy? Like, that mm. could be something worth considering when I take my next steps in the future. Like, when I was thinking about where I wanted to go to law school, I could have gone to, like a more prestigious blah blah hoity-toity place mm-hmm. but I was like I think I will be happier living in Berkeley where I hear there are a couple of queer people already living there than I will be like living in this place and in this environment yeah, I think you're exactly corporate. two people <laughs> potentially, potentially queer maybe three <laughs> when I move there but um, yeah yeah. yeah no you're gonna love it there you're gonna be in your element I hope so yeah. They're probably not going to let me, like, host shit at the local queer bar, you know? Why not? I don't know. You want to, like, say if I ask for a letter of recommendation? <laughs> going to give you a letter of recommendation. Yeah, you're going to be like, oh, <laughs> fancy. From the one queer bar in Indiana. Indiana. <laughs> no, just kidding. There are a couple, but this one is the best, for sure. <laughs> I know, because I tried the other ones. Oh, man. Well, they're mostly, like, gay. Right? Like, that, yeah. that was my thing. Like, you know, most of the other spaces that have queer people are somewhat very segregated along the lines of gender. Yeah, for sure. Or sexuality. And I wanted to have this umbrella place. Yeah, yeah. Umbrella place for an umbrella person. That's why umbrella I like person. <laughs> That's why I like it so much, I guess. Yeah. What is your queer truth? What does that mean? Don't get philosophical on me, okay? This is not an AP class. We're just... <laughs> what is my queer truth? What is truth? What is truth? What is queer? <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. What is is? <laughs> I hear it's a verb, you know? I don't teach grammar in, in my English classes, mostly because my grammar sucks. But um, queer truth... Right, I think it's trying to find a quote-unquote authentic version of yourself. What does authentic mean? I don't know, but a way that you feel comfortable, right? Like when I, okay, you know when you're around your closest friends and you actually don't lose energy because you're hanging out with them. Like I'm in, I'm a very extroverted person, but you know, even I have my limits of like, okay, sometimes I need to like, you know, go to bed mm-hmm. or like do something that like go for a run or go mm-hmm. climbing or something. Mm-hmm. But they're your closest friends are like your siblings, you know, you can hang out with them all the time, you like watch each other pee, like it's whatever, y'all are tight. And I think finding a good space where I come into this bar, this cafe a couple times a week, and I like, like relax, you know, like I know that I feel safe here. 
I know there's gonna be someone in here that I know and to me that's what kind of queer truth is. Maybe I will never know what the most quote-unquote authentic version of myself is but I know the feeling that I have when I feel relaxed and calm and at peace and I think that that's what my like queer truth is is striving towards is is living and existing more of the time when I feel yeah I guess me liberated yeah I don't want to say that again I think I'm so, <laughs> like you're gonna be like a bring it back bring it back to liberation no you're gonna do like one of those word maps from this right. so it's gonna be like liberation, <laughs> liberation queer <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for talking to me. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Of course. Hey, I feel so honored that you wanted to t let me talk. For How do we find you? What is your Insta? So I Where's your homepage? Where's my channel? Um, I changed my Instagram name recently so that it's actually my name. It's, I think, bex.gw. Okay. Um, and, you know, you can find me probably in this cafe at some <laughs> point, at least one evening a week. At bex.gw. Love it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Hey, thank you for also creating this space, you know? And I don't know. You probably get told that a lot, but probably you can't get told that enough, how amazing oh, the space is that you <laughs> create, you know? It's really awesome. Thank you.